Welcome back into Morning Drive, hour number two here on a Tuesday. Nick Braden, D-Mace, Marquise, good to have you in here. ESPN 102.5 The Game. So let's get to a little college football as Saturday the Vols got their first SEC win of the year. A seven-point home underdog, and they beat Mississippi State 20-10. to I think, the, and I think there's still some questions that we need to ask about this performance, but I would say the good is Tennessee's defense against the leading rusher in the conference finally looked like what you all envisioned it would under a defensive guy like Jeremy Pruitt. Yeah, they pl- they finally um, you know came in and 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 played the way that you thought a uh, Jeremy Pruitt defense would play a guy that. You know, cut his teeth in, in, in college football on the defensive side. And, you know, that has been a an Achilles heel. It's been an eyesore for the Vols team. You know, the, the offense has too. But when you hire a coach like Jeremy Pruitt, you think at least – it's kind of like what's happening on West End. You think at least the defense would be an area where you see some improvement. And it just hadn't been that way. But this past weekend – they were able to, you know, they sold out on the run and they were able to stop the best, you know, best running back as far as yardage in the conference. So, yeah, I mean, you can you can build on that um, as a as a team, as a unit. Um, but you are facing a team. And here's the, here's the sad part about it. You are facing yep. a team yep. that. You know, frankly, that's all they were was a running team. And now the next team you're going to face, they can do both run and pass. And you're you're at the mercy this of is, basically Tua. It is a improvement. But I do. But it's, it, what they did was great. Improvement on defense is still improvement on defense. Exactly. Beggars right. can't be choosing. Right. It, it no, is, you're right. It is improvement on defense. 4.6 yards per play allowed. Kalen Hill was held to, I believe, 13 yards on 11 carries, largely due to the fact that they had to throw most of the second half. They were behind, so mm-hmm. they couldn't run the football. Um, but but all credit is due. Listen, if you, if you improve and you play well, you get credit for improving and playing well. So there's no question about that. I think Mississippi State is teetering on the brink of irrelevancy. That's my problem with this, is that Mississippi State is starting to crater. And if Mississippi State is continuing to trend in that direction and continues to crater, you're going to look back on this win and say, uh, okay, um, I think the injury to the quarterback, Brian Maurer, I still think if if he comes back healthy, I'd Mm -hmm. like to see him start. Uh, Jared Garantano did make some big throws in the second half on on some critical downs. The little swing pass to Tim Jordan was big. Obviously, it was great to see Tyler Bird make a huge play, Uh, a kid who stuck around the program a long time and has been rewarded with a big play in a game like that. Um, but this is still a two and four football team that ranks fifty seventh in the nation in defense. Mm-hmm. This is still an average statistical football team, and and now they're about to play a really really good football team with a couple other really good football teams still on their schedule. Um, you know, South Carolina's defensive line right now. If they played right now today, South Carolina's, South Carolina's defensive line would chew them up. So Missouri's offense right now would chew them up. There are still lots of difficult hurdles left on the schedule, but it's an it's it's a it's a performance that allows you to be optimistic about the direction of the defense for now. Alabama's going to put you back in your place, but just forget <laughs> that and move on from that and say, all right, what are we going to do against South Carolina, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, UAB? How do we look in games that we think we've now got a chance to win? And that, that level of hope and optimism can't be overstated. That, that's an important thing for that locker room to feel that way. Um, and again, 4.6 yards per play. They gave up 7.5 to Georgia, 6.5 yards a play against Florida, and this is a defense that got gashed this year by Georgia State. So clearly progress. And without Henry Toto, who's kicked out of the game, 
who I don't believe will play in the first half against Bama because of being kicked out on the targeting penalty. So mm-hmm. um, arguably their most talented young player on defense is not going to play in the first half. But again, I don't think it matters because it's Alabama. Um, but it's progress. Progress is progress. So you got to take it where you can right now. Here's what I didn't understand. Now, Garantano comes in and he finished really good statistically. Six of seven, 106 yards, a touchdown. But it was, I believe, eight or nine, maybe even ten straight plays when Garantano came in to replace Maurer where Jim Chaney ran the ball every single time. Yeah, they didn't trust him early. I don't think they... Like, I was wondering if Garantano's arm was operational. Well, it's either one of two things. Either they didn't trust him to throw the football, or they were trying to, um, you know, they were trying to basically, you know, tell Mississippi State, listen, this is who we are. This is what we're going to do. You stop it. Um they were trying to be sort of the bully in the, in the yard, you know, saying this is what I'm going to do. Now you figure out a way to stop it. And, you know, hopefully it was that rather than, you know, saying the quarterback is inept and we don't want him to throw the ball. Um, because uh, Garantano has played enough football that he can throw the football and I'm, he might not do exactly what you want him to do with the football, but he can throw it. He's shown he can throw it. Um, Sometimes I want him to throw it, though, Derek. Yeah, you would want <laughs> him to throw the football. But, I mean, hopefully it was, you know what, we, 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 we're trying to establish this this identity. We're trying to establish this. Well, they had this, the lead. It yeah, was the fourth quarter. You're this, trying to put the game you know, away. We want to, you know, basically just go out there and and and, and – our will will dominate you, and, and this is what we're going to do. We're going to run the football and stop us. I, I don't have a, as big an issue with the play calling there because, again, the game situation at the time, they have the lead. And, and, when, and, and, and again, when push came to shove, knowing that you've got a guy who's played 20, 25 games or whatever, whatever it is for Garantano to say, hey, on a, on, a th- on a second and seven, we're going to throw a swing pass to Tim Jordan or a third and seven to throw a swing pass to Tim Jordan. He's going to pick up nine yards and pick up a critical first down when, we need, when you need it. And then you're going to, you know, the next time you ask him to throw the ball is in another critical situation, and Tyler Bird takes a little swing pass and goes down the left sideline and scores. So when they needed it, he did make the two big throws that you needed from him. So, again, even in overtime against BYU earlier in the year, in a bad game in which Garantano wasn't good, he still made a couple of big throws in that game when he need, when you needed him to. So I still think Brian Maurer should be the starter if he's healthy. I think you need to f- still learn what he is. You know, do you want to do that against Bama? That's a different story. <laughs> but I, again, I think. He, well, hell, he played against Georgia, he, and he showed out very well in the first half against Georgia. Yeah. So I, I think you need to find out if he is your guy for 2020. If 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 you think Brian Maurer is the starter in 2020, I think you need to. And he's healthy. You need to get him back out there, have him be the starter. You can. You already know you've got the the Garantano chip card thing in your back pocket. You can always go to him. And know that you're going to get somebody who at least has experience. But Alabama, and, they could take your soul, man. You know, I, they could I, take I get your it. soul. I get it. And, <laughs> and and you know what? Ask Florida State what happens. Like they they don't even necessarily take. They can take they can take your starting quarterback yeah. from you. Like uh, yeah. I mean, didn't DeAndre Francois get knocked out for the season against yeah. Bama a couple She's years ago? Yeah. Like yeah. you literally can lose your best players playing against Bama. And if so you're not careful. Say, I mean. Yeah, they can take your soul, man. You know, it's it's so sad that Alabama-Tennessee, third Saturday in October, great rivalry historically, will get no run this week because Bama's a 35.5-point favorite. But if I'm Jeremy Pruitt, and I think Gary Danielson said it this week with A&M, mm-hmm. like, and Dimes, you would know this as a former receiver, 
When you look at Jalen Waddle, Ruggs, Judy, Devontae Smith. Good Lord. Like, pick your poison, but you just can't let them have seven yards of off coverage and run those RPOs that look like a 12-yard slant for the average receiver and average offense mm-hmm. that turn into 72-yard touchdowns. What are you going to do, roll them up and play man coverage? You might as well go down swinging. You're going to get I mean, torched you can't, that way. You have to play it honest. You can't sit. You can't just say, you know what? Can you drop 11? Damn if we do, damn if we don't. You got to play sound. You just got to play sound defense. You got to stay in front of those guys. I'm dropping 11 guys you, into coverage. You can't. You know, <laughs> don't even you, rush to him. I'm not even going to rush him. You can't sit there and, and play, you know, press coverage. Because if you play press coverage, that RPO is going to kill you. And those guys are going to, I mean, they had the. You're damned if you do, damned They if you had the best group of wide receivers probably within the last 10 years. I, I think it is the best collection of wide receivers in NCAA history. Yeah, it might be. I it, think it is it, the best. You are, might be right about and, that. And, and to take it a step further, if just as one class of player, right, because mm-hmm. two is in the same class as Smith, Ruggs, and Judy, they're all juniors together. It is the greatest, is the greatest passing attack to ever sign with a school at one year ever. And 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 you add Waddle to it, and a tie, and a couple of tight ends that can catch. It's the best collection of receivers the college football has ever and, seen. And we're talking a team that had Amari Cooper and and Julio Jones on the same team. No, 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 separate. They were very, very separate. They always had. No, they, was, they, they would have. There was somebody, and Marquise Mays, Darius no, Hayes. Someone was Julio, there with Julio was, and his, his his junior year, and then. One of them came. Was it Ridley? Or Ridley, went Ridley and Cooper. Cooper. Ridley, it was Ridley and Cooper. Went from Julio to Cooper to Ridley. Yeah, so they've always Ridley had one legit stuff. Ridley now they got four. It was Ridley yeah. and Cooper. Uh, Cooper was his junior year, and Ridley was Cooper's his final year was in fourteen freshman. with Blake Sims. So that might have been Ridley's freshman. year? Ridley played with Jake Coker, and then the beginning of the Jalen Hurts era. Here we go. I can do this for you. Amari Cooper, 12 to 14. Yep. So 12, 13, and 14. DJ Hall is the number two all time leading receiver in Alabama history. That's sure. Yeah. 407. Yep. Calvin Ridley was 15 to 17. So the, Cooper and Ridley never overlapped. And, Ju- and Julio, Julio, Julio Jones was, was uh, 008 recruiting class through 2010. So they, none of those three guys ever overlapped with each other. But to your point, um, it, it is I, like again, that is receiver you. Th- th- that this has is become the, receiver you. And, and LSU's receiving core this year is spectacular. Yeah, Florida's receiving core this year is spectacular. The receiving cores in the SEC are amongst the best I've ever seen in the SEC. And this Alabama one is the best I've ever seen in the SEC. And that puts it on par with anybody else's ever in the history it, of the game around college It football. reminds me of the year it was Rito Anthony, um, Ike Hilliard, and who was the third receiver for Florida? Uh, Jacquez Green. Yeah, Jacquez Green. Those three guys, and you're talking about three guys that got drafted. Mm-hmm. All I think all three of those 96. guys were it, no less than fourth round draft picks. And I want to say uh, Chris- Jacquez was the no, they all were first and second round draft picks. Well, Jacquez was the youngest of the three. Yeah, yeah, he he might not have played much on that particular team because Chris Doring would have been his senior year would have been the year before uh-huh. they went to the national. But title I'm saying they had always- all three of those guys on that one team. Trying to think of I mean, uh, I'll, other I'll other great receiving cores. I mean, who was opposite of Dwayne Jarrett at USC? Was Steve Smith there? Yes, and they had a really yeah. good tight end too. Um, the, the, the anybody o- with Andre Johnson? The O one Hurricanes? No, not anybody that's that. Now that was Shockey and if you because we count, I count tight ends as a yeah. part okay. of a pass catching. So Shockey group. was on that team. So it was Shockey and Winslow. 
Oh, yeah. Along with Andre Jesus. Johnson, <laughs> so Lord. that was pretty good. Now they, I think they had, um, oh, who was was it? Parish, uh, who was the little, uh, who was the little receiver? Bears. I know you're talking about, but what they played it with Miami, the, Roscoe Parish, Roscoe yeah, Parish. Parish. He was the kick returner, punt returner, and the the little speed slot guy. They throw the bubble screens too. So you're talking, I mean, in in that offense with Tim Tebow. Because that was Tebow, right? No, no, well, that's, no, that's, that's before Tebow. Tebow would have been Percy Harvin, Aaron Hernandez, yeah, um, Riley Cooper, yeah, Riley Cooper would have been on that team. I think they had a second tight end that was pretty good too. So Pouncy you, Twins, you're talking. <laughs> um, I hear you, Jacquez Green and Rito Anthony. Let me those three guys, uh, and Jacquez was the youngest, and that was a prolific passing yeah. unit. Uh, then you fast forward and you look at yeah, what, well, yeah, what Alabama right. has now and what LSU has now. I mean, good Lord. How about Taylor Jacobs mixed with Jabbar Gaffney be- right before Andre Caldwell and Dallas Baker? Mm-hmm. That all was an overlap. The next generation, right? Like 99, uh-huh. 90, 99 through like 03 yep. was all those guys. Travis McGriff was also on the team with Riedel Anthony, yeah. Jacquez Green, I kill your <laughs> So you're talking some 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 from teams in the to like that had bona fide studs at wide receiver at the college level. Alabama is the best collection of receivers ever that have, that are putting up numbers. The best collection of receivers ever in college football. Six one five seven three seven one zero two five. The number. So we took care of the good with the Vols. Congratulations, win number two on the year. Now you get Alabama this week in Tuscaloosa. But up next, Hooray. the bad from Saturday. I personally, just my opinion, think it's over for one man. Back after this on Morning Drive. I mean, I, I've, I've been in this profession for a long time. And, and, and for me, I've, I've always coached this thing on a one-year deal. Like for me personally. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't care what contracts say. For me, man, it's, it's about trying to make this program better and getting this program better and getting these you know, young people better. That's what I'm charged to do. You know, I mean, like the, the the money. I mean, I remember when I was coaching this thing. You know, man, for nothing. And now, you know, man, I don't coach for nothing. And let me tell you, I mean, I'm I'm gonna work as hard as I can with my staff to to ensure that these young men, you know, uh, skill wise and and, and 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 from a football standpoint, get better. You know, I, I mean, I mean, I truly like believe that. And if I'm not doing that, then I'll walk away from the game. Okay, I, I, I'm I'm here to make sure, man, that I can get this thing right. And again, it's not about being right. It's about getting right. So that's what I'm charged with, and that's what I'm going to do. Vanderbilt head coach Derek Mason on Saturday, and we appreciate the court stenographer on the typewriter in the background. Is that Chase McCabe punching away? <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> way, um, way too fast to typer for Chase McCabe. Boys, it's over for Derek Mason. You and, and, and just like with Marcus Mariota, I, I don't want to hear anymore, well, he's a nice guy, well, I like him, I root for him. doesn't matter. You're in the results business, and we know Vanderbilt's challenges, and I don't think that conversation really needs to be brought up today because simply when you are playing a team like UNLV and you're a 15-point home favorite, which, by the way, Vanderbilt should never be a 15-point favorite over any FBS program, uh, but when you lose 34-10 to at home as a 15-point favorite and you can't stop the Rebels, it's time to go. I think it's over for Derek Mason. You've given up 30, 42, 66, 
31 and 34 points. I mean, did did, did UNLV um, bring back Larry Johnson and Stacy Augman? I, I, I don't know. That's I don't know. They could have. They went on a 34 uh, to three run. Yeah, this is just this is just disappointing. Um, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing by their you're, standards. You're averaging only 18 points with an offense that has Keyshawn Vaughn. Pinkney and Lipscomb, three guys that could have foregone their senior years and would have been drafted no later than the fourth round. Uh, Imagine if they had gone. They they decided to come back because they believed in what was to come for this university. They didn't think they were going to go 13 and 0 or 12 and 0, but they thought at least, you know what, our senior season will be as good or better than it was previously last year. Um, And it hasn't been, and I'm disappointed for those three guys because they came back specific, yeah. specifically to better this university, to better this program, and it's been a dismal. And you know the 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 the, the stuff goes uphill, it goes up the flagpole, and it stops right at the doorstep of of Derek Mason, Coach Mason, and this team looks uninspired. Um, you know the 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 big three um, haven't been other than Keyshawn Vaughn haven't been the reason why they're winning games, and it's not their fault. The quarterback can't get them the football. You thought that bringing in another guy that had played a lot of games, you thought at least okay, he's not going to be Kyle Shermer, but hell, he's going to be able to carry the man, carry the water, and get us some victories. At least give it to the three guys that we that decided to come back for the senior year. He hasn't been able to do that. And Derek Mace, Coach Mason is in this dilemma. Do I stick with Riley Neal or do I go with the young quarterback? Well, hell, right now, just go with the young quarterback because maybe, just maybe, that's the reason why, you know, you have another year. You decide to say, listen, Riley Neal wasn't the answer. And I'm not going back to Riley Neal. I'm just not. I'm going to go with the young guy, Wallace, and allow him to, to sink or swim. And then we will, you know, we will decide next year or we will decide this summer as far as getting the quarterback and him getting better within the system. But I, my ship is not going down with a guy named Riley Neal that hasn't been able to generate offense for us. We brought him in specifically to do that, and he hasn't been able to do that. So who do you blame? Do you blame the offensive coordinator? Do you blame the quarterback, the offensive line? Who? Well, uh, so my my thought on this is that generally the Vanderbilt football coach should be handled with kid gloves because he's behind the eight ball. Like you said, Nick, we've had that conversation a million times. Um, I think we all understand that. I, I think with a new athletic director and losing by 24 points at home to a 1-4 Mountain West team <laughs> is probably even too much for a guy who – we all agree, deserves extra patience because he's not getting the support of the university mm-hmm. that he needs to win at a higher level than the fans expect. And so while I think all of that is true, that it does feel like this game was the straw that broke the camel's back a little bit. That, that, that this, When you have a running back who averages almost 10 yards a carry, 10 yards a carry, and gets almost 150 yards rushing, and you lose by 24 at home to a 1 in 4 Mountain West team you're clearly not coaching football anymore and and so again i am, i have always apologized to 
for Derek Mason and his lack of financial support for resources to get players at Vanderbilt because the university has never supported its football coach the way they need to. Malcolm Turner may be fixing that. Mm -hmm. We're not sure. But the equation in college football and basketball and big-time athletics is that when a new AD comes in, he's going to want to hire his person. That's just the way it is. And when you lose by 24 points at home to a 1-4 Mountain West team, have I said that this is a 1-4 Mountain West team that came in here and boat raced an SEC team at home? You're giving the new athletic director no options. And that is the problem. And and so while I, I agree, Derek Mason, I would let Derek Mason babysit my children. And there's probably not a single other coach in the SEC that I would <laughs> let do that. But I would let, I, like that's how good of a guy he is, and that's how much I think we all root for him. And and I, the ambassador for the for Vanderbilt and for for the city of Nashville could not be a better guy for that. And and I think that matters far more in college athletics than it does the quarterback in the NFL team. Mm-hmm. Quarterback is, is, at the NFL team is a far more Results-oriented business wins and losses. I think college coach at Vanderbilt is there's a little bit more gray area there. I would sacrifice a few wins if I'm a Vandy fan for, to have a great human being leading that program. At this stage, though, I don't know what what else you're looking for. I mean, like what what else is there that can happen that you're going to say, you know what? If we give him a few more resources, we're going to get something else out I mean, of him. You, I, don't, you, I don't know. You saw Malcolm Turner come in and say, mm-hmm. you know what? Yeah, we owe Bryce Drew X amount of dollars. But Bryce Drew was deplorable last year, and I'm not going to let it just because of the Garland injury. You didn't win a game in the conference. You're out. I'm bringing somebody in. To your point, you know, when you lose by 24 to this team, if you're Malcolm Turner, you got to sit there and say, this is now, unacceptable. I think that was different. He's I think a basketball Malcolm guy. Turner, yeah, he's a basketball guy. He yeah. wanted his guy. He had a guy pinpointed in, in Coach Stackhouse. He wanted Coach Stackhouse, and he got Coach Stackhouse. Um, and it was easy for it was easier for him to do that than I say to pull the trigger on this one. Um, Coach Mace is my guy, and but even with that, I, you just call a spade a spade. You know what he and, should do right now, Derek Mason. What? He should fire his defensive coordinator, Jason Tarver. He's, he's that guy's gonna, atrocious. No, he's going to have to make a decision. The if offensive coordinator is not say, in much better shape. Either. If they say, you know, Coach Mason, we're going to give you another year. He's going to have to then make a decision. Are we going to move forward with Tarver? You got to change the or staff, not? Yeah. Or are we going to move forward with the offensive coordinator? And, or not, and, and and generally that's the first move. Yeah, that's the a first coach move you does make. before you get fired is fire everybody underneath you, and that's generally what happens first he, before you go. He's going to, you know, that's the the decision he's going to have to make moving forward. Um, they he he thought this was going to be a different season, and what I'm afraid of is this team quitting on him if they haven't already quit on him. You're looking, again, I go back to the three guys that decided to come back for their senior year. And they thought the season was going to be much better than what it is at this point. And it hasn't been. And what you're afraid of as a head coach or as anyone involved in this program is that those three guys say, why did I come back? And when they they start to say that, those younger guys start to hear that, and it starts to filter. And then what happens is that it's, the it's on the recruiting trail, The too. next game you go out, you get down by 10 points, everybody says, you know what, here we go again, and they quit. But, and that's what I'm afraid I, of, this team quitting on Coach Mason is going to make it even worse yeah. moving forward. I, I don't think people fully grasp 
how bad the loss was. Oh, of course. I don't think it was. Do. It was comparable the, to what UT did the first game of the season. It's. I think it might be worse. UNLV defensively is the 98th rated defense in in college football defensive efficiency wise. That's after playing its best defensive game of the year against Vanderbilt. <laughs> they gave up 43 points to Arkansas State. 30 points to Northwestern, 53 points to Wyoming, 38 points to Boise State, and you scored 10. They were giving up 6.5 yards of play, 5.5 yards of play. They gave up 8 yards per play to Wyoming, 8 yards per play to Boise State. You, you, you put up 4.8 yards per play as a team against UNLV. This is a, a, they're, not even, they're barely in the top 100 in defensive metrics. There's only 130 teams. And they're not in the top 100 of defensive metrics. And you couldn't score more than 10 points at home as an SEC team? Well, last week they only scored six. It's just not like – it's not just that you lost. It's how it happened. UNLV goes on a 34-3 run, which means all of your team is inept at that point. And, again, I have always apologized for Derek Mason and the shortcomings that that administration has has created for the the head coach – at that program, there should be a longer leash at that program because of those restraints. At this stage, though, with the new athletic director, it's hard to see the athletic director. I don't know if it means he's getting let go at the end of the year. I I, I don't know, but it's hard to argue that those guys coming back, mm-hmm. they added pressure, frankly, to Derek Mason. All those guys coming back added pressure to his his season, and the quarterback has been atrocious, the coordinators have been atrocious, and the team hasn't gotten any better. And that's as bad a loss as I've seen an SEC team take ever. He was ever. he was not in a good mood last week when he joined us on the show. I'm going to guess he will not be in a good mood tomorrow morning at this exact time when he joins us 24 hours from now. All right, we will come back, get back to the Tennessee Titans. Uh, the tight end had a lot to say yesterday regarding the state of the franchise and also the backup quarterback who could very well be your starting quarterback at some point later today. We're back after this on Morning Drive. It is Morning Drive, ESPN 102.5, the game. And let's just say there are the haves and then the have-nots of the world. <laughs> One man living life the way we all should. What's the, what is it called, the acronym? I need to what is it? I need oh, the to... CSPD. <laughs> yeah. Nick Braden and the CSPD here. Cool Springs Police Department? Yeah, that's correct. We'll clean that up for you. Family program. Oh, man. Good Y'all are stuff. crazy. All right, Floyd Reese coming up 8.15 this morning. Back to the Titans. <laughs> so we, we talked about Delaney in the first hour responding to the Titans social media post about the quarterback debate between Tannehill and Mariota. Let's hear from Delaney Walker when he was asked about the current state of the team and if they were surprised that they're 2-4. and four. I don't find it hard to believe at all. Coaches are going to do whatever they feel is best for the team, so that's pretty much where it's at. So that was in regards to the team being 2-4 and four and then also the current state of the quarterback situation with this team, just hearing that yesterday, and I actually watched it back, the video of Delaney Walker, he's got this look on his face where mm-hmm. like, he's almost resigned to the fact that this thing's going south. It, here's, the, you know, here's the problem, and it's not necessarily a problem, but here's what you run into when a guy's been in the league for a long time and he's seen a lot. They know right away when you have a good team and when you have a bad team. Um, and I saw the same video, I think it was after the game, he was getting dressed, um, and he realizes that, you know, there are some things going on 
with this team and in particular this offense that might not be able to be fixed this year. And he knows, again, he knows he only has a few more years left in this league. And he wants to go out a winner. And when a guy's been playing at a level he's been playing at, and he's been, you know, he's been one guy that you know, you know, whether they give him the ball or not, he comes to play week in and week out. And he's made some clutch catches for you. He's been arguably the best offensive weapon uh, pass catcher that you've had since he's gotten here. And he, you know, he's almost resigned to, you know what, the coaches have figured out whatever they decide, they decide. I'm just going to keep doing what I do, and hopefully we can pick up a victory, um, you know, here and there. But the look on his face is one of, I don't have the answers, kind of like the head coach. I don't have the answers, and I'm not going to sit here and explain to you like Taylor Lewan. It's the coaches are going to make the decisions they, they make, and whatever decisions they make is going to be the best for the team. It's almost like he's just looking at his face and hearing his answers it's like, yeah, I'm doing my job, but the rest of these jokers, uh, I don't know what's going on over there. And he is doing his job, but he can't. I mean, what did Giselle famously say? Tom can't throw the ball and catch it too. <laughs> you know, after uh, Wesley Walkman, after Walker dropped the ball in the in the, in the uh, West Walker Walker dropped the ball in the Super Bowl, she said, "My husband can't throw it and catch it too." Well, Delaney can't throw it. Technically, catch Delaney it, block. Could. Technically, Delaney yeah, could can. block, though. <laughs> yeah, he can't block. But, but he can't he's do not, all but, of that together. Right. And you don't want him consistently right. being a blocker. And that's what he's yeah. been relegated to because of the offensive line woes. Uh, again, we, we can we can debate Marcus and, and Ryan, and that's going to happen, unfortunately, for all of us. For the this is not 10, even about Marcus for the and Ryan right exactly, now. Exactly. This, this, this is about an offensive line that doesn't give anyone a chance to do anything. And, and what that does is it starts to show up on your face. Mm-hmm. When you're when you're answering questions, if if you have go, are going week after week after week, where your offensive line, it does. Ryan Tannehill was sacked again, guys. Tannehill was sacked four times in like a four fit, minutes in, in like nine <laughs> minutes. Like the, the offensive line is so bad right now that, that Derrick Henry averaged not even two yards a carry in that game uh, against the Broncos. The offensive line is so bad right now that I don't I don't blame any of these players for having it just like they're just wearing it on their face. Like I love, I watch Derrick Henry's post-game stuff, all these players on offense, they look completely dumbfounded because, again, this is what's crazy about the offensive line. you got an $80 million left tackle. you got a $44 million left guard. you got a first-round draft pick at right tackle. You, you're playing a rookie, granted, at right guard, and Ben Jones kind of is what he is. He's, he's an awesome dude who's absolutely hilarious, but he's a little undersized and has sort of always been physically limited and is getting up there in age. He kind of is what he is. That's the one position where you could say, all right, there's not a lot of talent there, but, man, he sure is sort of a stable presence. He, he's not great, but he's, he's not bad. Uh, you, you've got ability. That's what's concerning about this. You've got ability, but then you have a question about every single one of them. And and the offensive line is the issue here. It, it, this is this is not about the receiver. Like Arthur Smith has some blame. The quarterback has some blame. The receivers need to get open. All the blame goes around. But this is really truly about the offensive line. And if they cannot fix the offensive line, you better be prepared for frustrated receivers. <laughs> uh, it doesn't matter if, if stinking Tom Brady is standing behind the offensive line. It's not going to matter. They're not going to be productive. The coordinator. I mean, you, you just be ready for all of it because until the offensive line gets fixed. It's one of those things in football, college or pro, it's hard to fix in the middle of the season. And if you don't have it, 
man, it affects every other part of your team. It, it just it, it just ripples out to everybody, and it affects everybody. Because Derrick Henry's better than his numbers. Mm-hmm. Corey Davis is better than his numbers. Delaney Walker's better than his numbers. Marcus's numbers really weren't all that terrible until this past weekend. You know, A.J. Brown's better than his numbers, clearly. Johnu Smith's better than his numbers. These guys are all better than what they're producing, but the offensive line is cutting them all off at the knees. Let's hear a little more of Delaney Walker. Here he is commenting on quarterback Ryan Tannehill. Ryan was a, a elite quarterback in this league not not long longer than a year ago. I mean, um, he can take over a team. He can make plays, um, control the offense. I mean, I, I've seen him do it in Miami. So um, I don't know what situation is going to be but soon enough we'll all find out not sure I'd classify Ryan Tannehill as an elite quarterback at any point in his NFL career but but he has to say that Um, right right, some of it was true you know at times you did see in Miami where and I think that was sort of this sort of shadow subliminal kind of message that Delaney threw out there take control you know decisive those were the, the you just pay attention to the words that he's throwing out there. They're subliminal, and maybe those are the things that he wants Marcus to be, and he hasn't been. And you know, when you ask him the question about Ryan Tannehill, these are the things that that he say that that he's saying he's seen from Ryan Tannehill. Now he's not a franchise quarterback. I take that away. I think Delaney went a little bit too far on that one, but I understand. Oh, you no, he's elite. Up, yeah, he's you got to take up. You got to take up for your quarterback. Um, but so the same level as Joe Flacco. You know, it's you know he he has shown at times Ryan Tannehill that he can take control of a huddle. He can be decisive, and hopefully, just hopefully, if he is named the starter, that's what you see. Um, you know, from him moving forward, you know, it's something's got to happen. Uh, I, I, I we we need to we need to address that percentage chance of which quarterback is going to start on Sunday, hey, hey, which will be announced today at some point. Quickly, uh, and I meant to do this earlier, um, Taylor Lewan put out a, a tweet yesterday and uh, about Craig Stevens, who had just retired. He has, he's been diagnosed with ALS, and, yeah. you know, people tweet at him, you know, encouraging words, uh, pray for him. Um, it was great of Taylor to put that out there. Thank you, Taylor. A- ALS um, is terrifying. Yeah. So Craig Stevens, who just retired not too long ago, he's dealing. He's big diagnosed with ALS, and he has a he has a fight on hand for you know in front of him. But you know, I've I've seen guys that you know that have 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 been Steve, diagnosed Steve with Gleason, it, right? Yeah, and that have fought it for a long time. Um, so you know, I just praying for him, and you know, again. If you follow him or know him, send him words of encouragement because um, he's going to need it moving forward. All right, boys, if you need to grab a nap this afternoon, I think you should because we got a good one on tap tonight. West Coast, late start, 9 o'clock tonight. The Predators in Vegas to take on the Golden Knights, what could be uh, an early glimpse at a Western Conference final preview. We'll get to that game coming up next here on Morning Drive. Guys, i got an equation for you, though, before we get to that that I think you're really going to like, and it all adds up to big savings. Let's do the math. Now you can get Xfinity Internet 
and Xfinity Mobile, each for $30 a month. Pretty simple equation there. That equals awesome Wi-Fi from America's best internet provider and the best LTE on the go. It's the ultimate coverage solution. It's all in the numbers. You can save up to $800 a year on your wireless bill with Xfinity Mobile. And until October 27th, you could even get $250 cash back when you purchase an eligible smartphone. It's basically the perfect equation. Xfinity makes saving simple, easy, and awesome. Don't miss out on Xfinity Internet and Mobile, each for $30 a month. You'll get Internet now with up to 100 100 megabits per second download speed for 12 months with a one-year agreement and Xfinity Mobile with three gigs of shared wireless data. Go to Xfinity.com slash save big. That's Xfinity.com slash save big. Call 1-800-XFINITY or visit a store today. Requires EcoBill and AutoPay. Internet offer ends 10-27-19. New performance internet customers only. Equipment taxes and fees extra and subject to change. After agreement term, regular rate supply. Mobile savings compared to Verizon and AT&T plans. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Vegas and the Preds coming up next on Morning Drive. Welcome back into Morning Drive, ESPN 102.5, the game. The Predators this season have had some relative success, shaking off early deficits and rallying back and flipping the switch. I don't know that that's the uh, correct plan of attack tonight as the Predators' 9 o'clock puck drop tonight on 102.5, the game in Vegas. Uh, Vegas 4-2 uh, and two on the year, 8 points on the season. The Preds 3-2 and two with 6 points. And uh, this Vegas team, and this could very well be a Western Conference final preview uh, you don't want to fall behind against a team that has Paul Stastny, Stone, Mark Andre Fleury's playing at a really high level this year. Uh, you better get out to a quick lead tonight, hopefully, uh, and skate a full sixty because this is a really good Vegas team. Their offense is almost as good as the Preds, if not a little bit better. They scored twenty four goals in six games. If my math is correct, that's four goals a game. That's pretty good. The Preds are, are actually a little bit better than that, um, but they've only given up. 14 goals in six games, whereas the Preds have given up 21 goals in five games. So this is a better defensive team and just as good an offensive team. And they're going to play with speed. They're fun to watch. Should be a very entertaining hockey game tonight. Here's the crazy part about it. You look at Nashville and goals against, they are third in the league. They are giving up four goals per game. Almost five goals, close to five. You mean third worst. Yeah, third worst, yeah. Um, And, yes, um, you know, they score a lot of goals. (laughs) We get vacation because we take vacation because we get vacation. (laughs) No, yes, they score goals because they give up goals. And that's a problem, you know, moving forward. It's a long season. and But that's something they're going to have to get in check very quickly because – you know, last year was a power play. It seems like they've kind of gotten over that, you know, that sort of whoa, they've been able to score on a power play. Um, now it's, you know, I guess it was subtraction by addition. Yeah, they got, they got rid of P.K. Subban, uh, but they got worse on defense. And there's something that needs to happen, you know, to moving forward to get this team where they're not giving up, you know, you know, four goals a game you can't win a championship that way um <laughs> there's also you gotta eventually a, score some, yeah. you gotta eventually stop the, some people the, i've never seen a again five games okay yeah it's only five I, games I, so I, i'm not gonna overreact so like i'm trying not to overreact but it, it just as a as someone who's lived in this city for longer than the preds have been in existence if you would have told me i would have seen a team that that had a nashville 
predator on his on on their chest that that had him as the number one scoring team in the yeah, NHL. Are, yes, and the third worst scoring defense in the NHL. I, I kind of would have chuckled and said that's probably never going to happen. Yeah. Like they're never now again five games. If if, if it's fifty two games into the season mm-hmm. and they have the number one scoring offense in the NHL. I, it's it would be a remarkable story because they've never really even come close to being that. In fact, I, I'll look it up, but I haven't looked up their highest goals per game relative to the rest of the league per game average for their franchise. But I'm assuming they've never been number one. And if it, it's just 4.6 goals a game is insane right now. But like you said, Derek, at what cost? And right now the cost is you're giving up a boatload of games, boatload of goals. The problem is, is like you said, Nick, the the, the strategy can't be. All right, we're just going to lose the first and second period here, and then we'll just turn it on in the third when we're really good. You, you can't do that against a team like Vegas. Well, discipline's going to be key tonight because I think Vegas, going into their previous game, were only 3-for-17 on the power play, but in Vegas's last outing, they were 3-for-3 three three on the power play. So they, much like the Predators, may, might have had some issues on the power play, and obviously comparing the Preds' power play from last year. Uh, and they got off to a start in their last outing where they went 3-for-3 three three on the power play. So you can't be giving... Vegas, the one-man advantage. You can't let Vegas on the power play tonight. You can't be constantly in your own end of the ice on Saturday against the Kings. Los Angeles was in the Pred zone for far too long. You got to clear the puck. You got to give your goaltender a chance to survive. And it just really, it's defensively across the board. They need to tighten things up. There's no doubt about it. No, you absolutely. And right. I know it's only five games, but. You know, if we're going to sit there and praise the offense at a ridiculous pace through five games, and by the way, I'm totally fine with this right now mm-hmm. because after watching Titans football, where they don't even believe in offense, I'll gladly take a hockey team <laughs> that can light up the scoreboard <laughs> and maybe have some defensive issues. Now, in at least in for o- now, for sure. Yeah, in o six o seven, uh, from what I gather, um, they ended the season fifth overall. Ooh. In goals, uh, look for, at you doing some digging um, with uh, just over three goals per game. HockeyReference.com, um, Dmay. So yeah, look at that guy. <laughs> but I mean, and that was that's considered you know the way eighty-two game season that's considered high, averaging three goals per game. And they're right now. What are they averaging? Four point six. Four point six. So if they can keep this up um, and, and hover around that. Three and a half, you know, four, then they will end up one of the top teams in the National Hockey League in regards to uh, in regards to scoring. Now, they can't be giving up, you know, four goals a game either. Um, something's going to have to give. Um, so, yes, it's great that they are scoring goals in bunches, but you know, eventually, you're going to have to. Stop somebody. We see it with Kansas City. I call them the Kansas City Chiefs of the National Hockey League, <laughs> where they can score with anybody. They have people on their rosters that they, they can score blindfolded, but they can't stop anyone. And eventually, you have to stop people in order to win games, meaningful games. And, again, I'm not going to overreact because we you know, tend to overreact sometimes when we come back from a three Three goal lead, they got, three goal deficit, and end up winning and overtime. We kind of overreact sometimes. They, they got seven you know? dudes that are scheduled to score eighty two points. They are. I mean, seven I dude. They've they haven't. I'm, I think they've had one guy ever average a point per game. Have you? Maybe like again, that seven dudes on pace for that right now. But have you ever seen now hockey? I mean, 
I don't know how long you guys have been following hockey, but I mean, I hadn't been following hockey like that. Followed too much of too much bad uh, hockey for many but, years. But have you ever seen? <laughs> and I would love to ask when we have some guys on. I think today or tomorrow. Um, I would love to ask them: Have they ever seen a more prolific scoring unit um, in the National Hockey League? Because this team, they are prolific. I mean. Lines one, two, and three. These guys can score any and everywhere. Yeah, I, I it's, it's like they just I, turn I, it on and say, "Okay, we got to score." I, I mean, I, I would say it is. Again, we said this last year, and we said it the year before. This is the deepest collection of offensive talent the Predators have ever had. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think. I don't think it's. I don't think it's really even that controversial of a statement. I, I think it's the. They're averaging almost five. The goals most. A game. The most talented. Paul Korea is the only player. Um, to average more than a point per game in the history of the Preds. It's only happened one time. Um, he was also number two, by the way, uh, with 76 points. For those of you who don't know, the the, the single single point record, 85 points for Paul Correa. Um, seven guys are on pace to, to match that this year. So like, <laughs> it's not going to continue. But it is the most, again, I, I, I think it's, again, it's my opinion, but I think it's kind of taken as a fact at this point. Like there's never there's never been a Preds roster of forwards that's as talented as this group. And last year it was the most talented group we ever saw. And the year before that was the most talented group we've ever seen. And it just keeps getting more talented mm-hmm. every year. And so um, David Poyle has made this a part of his his thing. This whole offseason was about improving our ability to score. Now they are no, now again, a couple of weeks into the season, again, we have to preface everything with five games, five games, five games. But it, you're now sitting there with the best collection of offensive, offensive weapons you've ever had, and it appears to be working. Stick with it. Let's see how long you can hold. Let's see how long you can do it because I, the defense will eventually come around. You expect Dante Frabo to get better. You expect the defensive unit to to gel a little bit more. Um, for the offense to be this good right out of the gate, I think is is overachieving from anybody's perspective heading into the year. Peter Laviolette says Rocco Grimaldi will quote most likely be back in the Preds lineup soon. Grimaldi has missed the last two with a lower body injury. We will come back, kick off hour number three, Floyd Reese in about 15 minutes. We're going to get back to the Tennessee Titans and get to the quarterback conversation between Marcus and Tannehill. Decision coming at some point today. Morning Drive, ESPN 1025 The Game.